what drives me is seeing people worship, like creating an atmosphere of worship, people with their hands raised, connecting with God, feeling his presence, really believing the words that we're singing. That's what drives me because it's we're doing our job as as musicians and as singers you know we're glorifying God and we're leading the congregation in this worship to God you know that that's our job and we we don't have to always sound perfect you know we make mistakes but what drives me is is that is is knowing that the songs that we've sung the heart that we've sung them with has glorified God and, and we've praised him and we've worshipped him and and his presence has come down Welcome to the Hacka Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. That new intro music was from Isaac Valiente, a young man that records and produces his own music in Adelaide. He has original music out on Spotify and iTunes if you want to check him out, but I'm grateful that he has agreed to produce some stuff for the podcast. I'm excited to share today's conversation with you because it is with my favorite person in the entire world, my wonderful wife. You also might want to stay tuned at the end for some very special bonus content. You're going to love it. Steph Hackathorn is the music director of the Pentecostals of Sydney and has organized the music for the annual general conference of the UPCA for a number of years. Not only is she a gifted singer and musician, but she is also an anointed preacher of the gospel. She is the best mom to our two daughters that I could hope for. And on top of all of that, she is a working professional in a demanding field and runs half marathons just for fun. There is nothing this woman cannot do. We focus more on her story in this conversation rather than sharing our story, which we may do in a later podcast episode. So without further delay, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me tonight. Yeah, it's about time you had me on. Thanks for asking me to be on. Yeah, well, of course I was going to have you on. You're a massive draw card compared to myself. I'm sure uh, everyone wants to hear from the one and only no, Steph Agathon. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's it uh, like um, being the spouse of a podcaster? <laughs> Super annoying? No, it's good. I think it's something that you enjoy doing, so I'm very supportive of that. So far? So far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've already had the discussions about how often you record, so it's all good. Yeah. I'm locked down. I got nothing else I know, to do. I know. It's okay. Well, I wanted to start off, I like uh, starting off these conversations by getting to know the the person I'm speaking with. Obviously, I know you very well, but our listeners may not. And so I'd like you to give us a bit of a background, what it was like growing up. You're half Assyrian, half Maltese. Yep. So what was it like growing up in a household where uh, you had half Iraqi and half Maltese? Yeah, so both my parents... Well, my mum was born overseas and my dad was born in Australia. So even though um, we were, they were, you know, Maltese and Assyrian, they were still quite Aussie. I don't know, I guess what, what you would call it, but they were kind of first generation Australians. And so they, I think, tried to adapt as much, mm. <laughs> quite a bit at least. So, um, yeah, we, we're 
the Maltese side of us makes us talk with our hands a lot more. We're very expressive. Family is a really big deal. Very big family as well. My dad's family is quite a big family. Um, so yeah, we, my grandparents, we visited my grandparents on both sides quite a bit growing up and we still do to this day. Food's a big deal. Food's a huge deal. Yeah. yeah. But surprisingly, my mum didn't really cook a lot of Assyrian food. I think she knows a few dishes, but... Is it, do you think it's because your dad didn't like Assyrian food? Or? Um, Maybe. I think, I, I do actually think it's part of that assimilating into the Australian culture that they really um, adapted to that. So when we ate Assyrian food, it would be my grandmother's cooking. And when we had Maltese food, it would be my dad's mum's cooking. So. Your dad didn't cook? No, <laughs> never. <laughs> I wouldn't even trust him in the kitchen, to be honest. So yeah, it was, it was good. But I tried to learn as much as I could before my dad's um, mother passed away. So I have a few... Maltese recipes and then yeah the Assyrian food um, it's I'm not super fond of but I probably mm. could make some if I needed to yeah so which so are you saying that Lebanese food is better than Assyrian food <laughs> no no are I mean, you allowed no, to say that no 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 I'm not saying that scratch that <laughs> scratch it with the no it's um Maltese food is more Mediterranean I think you enjoy more so the Maltese food I find when I cook, you you tend to like, you know, macaroni and yeah, some of those other dishes, whereas Assyrian food is very similar to Lebanese food, which we yeah. do enjoy, but we can buy that quite easily. So you had, um, you had you and your two sisters. Yep. So I'm the eldest of three. Yep. Yeah. I've got two, two younger sisters. Yep. And your, your dad's a builder? Uh, yes. Dad's a builder and all of his, what? His brothers are either plumbers or landscapers or yeah that kind of uh, those kind of industries. And then my mum had has had one brother who passed away um, quite a few years ago now. So. And he was a lawyer. He was a lawyer and a really amazing guitarist. So he oh. had a huge range of Fender guitars. And uh, so when he passed away, uh, my mum got one and then I got one. Uh, we donated one to church. Um, as well so yeah he was a really really good guitarist did your nan so your yep. grandmother yeah on your mom's side did she push them both to to play music yeah i assume so your because mom my mom the organ right exactly an organ um organ and uh piano yeah. player yeah and then her brother played the guitar so i think she definitely did um push them that way yeah so that's sort of like your musical background you would think yeah music? that side for sure my dad oh but my dad played the saxophone oh yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah so he used to play for church for a number of years but yeah he, he plays the sax so uh obviously you're a musician yep when did you uh, get your start playing the piano? Um, so according to my mum, <laughs> I was eight. Well, she would know. When right? I started, exactly. I was eight when I started uh, playing and I went through the Australian Music Examination Board. So I studied classical piano. So that was reading mm. sheet music and doing all the exams to go through that. I actually just a few weeks ago drove past my old piano teacher's house because I was in the area. It's near... Um, Reevesby Padster area. Her name was Mrs. Morgan. She was, from what I remember, she was my only piano teacher for that very long period of time that I was learning classical. Yeah, so we would go to her house and, and have our lessons and have our exams there. At that time, the mu music examination board would send their, I don't know what you call them, like 
the graders to, oh, okay, to for yeah. you to pass that level, yeah, that would send them to the the teacher's house, and we mm. would do the test there. So. so you you were trained classically, yes. So gospel is that all picked up from church? Church, fully from church, and most of it by ear. Uh, yeah, and watching YouTube videos sometimes, learning from my time at Bible school as well. So when did you start playing at church? I started. From what I can remember, I think I was around 12. I started playing for youth, and then I was given an opportunity to play for um, Sunday services. Wow, at 12? I think Sunday services was was around the 14, 15. I don't have a great memory, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure it was around that. So you've been playing for a number of years? Yes. At at the church? Yes. Now, we talked a little bit about your background. We said your dad was, or not was, is... (laughs) He is alive. <laughs> so far, yes, I mean, he he's is. been locked down. Oh, Jeffrey, <laughs> yes. So your dad's a builder, yes. and your mom's the minister. That's not normal. Very difficult. Yeah, yes, it's exactly. Very different. Exactly. Mostly, it's the you know man, and then the, and then the uh, woman's doing something correct, else. So correct, it was yeah. vice versa. Well, yeah. And also, you grew up being a PK. So yeah. what was that like? What was it like growing up being a preacher's kid? Yeah, it was great. I think as uh, growing up in that kind of uh, household, you're exposed to a lot of, well, at least, okay, I'll rewind a bit. So at the time, our bishop, Bishop Slack, was very heavy on bringing in speakers, guest speakers from around the world for our conferences or for special weekends. And because of that, I was exposed a lot to those preachers and that, you know, they would have kind of leadership dinners and that kind of thing. And because yeah, I forgot my to, is, yeah, I forgot to mention that because yeah. I was a PK as well, but not yeah. the same kind of PK. Right, right. You know, you get the PK who the dad's a preacher, my dad was a preacher. Yeah. And he was a local licensed yeah, minister yeah. And, and he knew people within the Missouri district and so on. Mm. But I mean, we're talking about, you know, people coming over to your house like, Brother Stone King, Brother mm, Eli yeah. Hernandez, the Gonzaleses, yeah. um, you know, incredible men and women of God. So yeah. yeah, what was that like? It was, am- yeah, it was amazing. And it still is like, we're blessed at the moment that we um, still uh, have friendships with these people, are still able to interact with these people. When you're a lot younger, you feel like they're untouchables <laughs> and they're part of this, you know. They're still like, pretty oh, untouchable. <laughs> I know, I know, but they're still, they're real people. Yeah. Um, so, no, it was incredible. It was, I think from a very young age, I was aware of a really strong presence of God and a really strong anointing on certain people, certain mm. ministers and, and that kind of thing. So it was amazing. I definitely remember uh, looking forward, knowing, oh, for example, Brother Stonking's coming over for mm. dinner tonight with, with the leadership team and knowing that it was going to be a powerful move of God, mm. even in our dining room, you know? Yeah. So I yeah, definitely looked forward to it. And, yeah, and, and yeah. you um, formed long-lasting relationships, yeah, like yeah. with the Hoffmans yeah. and, and others, the yeah. Trimbles, the Kleinans. Yeah. Yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. Many people would have heard this story of Brother Stone King when he was in Sydney. And uh, he was at the Sydney airport and he collapsed and his heart stopped and he was basically dead for 20 something minutes. And then uh, Bishop Slack was praying for him and, and, you know, God touched him and he was able to fully recover. But part of his recovery was once he left the hospital, he needed to stay 
in Australia for how many weeks? Do you remember? Mm-mm, no. But he had to stay a for a weeks, number of weeks yeah. before he could fly back to the U.S. Mm. And where did he stay? <laughs> now, spare room. <laughs> I know it's crazy to say, but... Um, what was that like, having Brother Stone yeah, King it was interesting. have breakfast with you? Yeah, it was very interesting. I was quite young at the time, yeah. too, though, so it was this man of God. Young and naive. <laughs> yeah, exactly, young and naive. <laughs> This man of God in our spare room. I actually remember he was kind of, because um, he did recover and he was okay, but then he couldn't fly for a certain time. And I think that was the time where he uh, was kind of getting bored with hmm. being in the house. And so he went with mum to this, I think it was Spotlight or some store, and he did this whole flower arrangement oh, with wow. artificial flowers. We had it for, I'm sure we had it for like 15 years Amazing. that he had created because yeah. he was, he's very at the time he was very creative right. in that sense too and he had to have ants in his pants i mean the man traveled exactly every weekend and he was stuck in a house for, for weeks well he still does basically every yeah, weekend yeah that's a pretty cool story yeah so you had all these influences hovering around your life you had these interactions and you saw you know the hand of god on your on your mom in your family and so on uh, on brother slack and other leaders within the church when did you feel the call to ministry? Was it around the same time that you went to Bible school or are those disconnected? So I was having a bit of a think about this because I've listened to some of the other interviews and some of the other, <laughs> um, you know, and your own, your own testimony as well. I know you probably, maybe one day I'll get to interview you, but you really had a time that you can point to in your life where God called you. You felt God really called you. Yeah. You were going one way and you can point to that moment and say that's when my life changed completely. And I was trying to think back through my own life and I do, I I don't feel like I have a great memory, but I can't really point to one specific time. I would just say it was, I think the feeling of wanting to be used by God was continually reaffirmed in my life by friends or by preachers or prophecies or yeah, it, it was, it was never... It was never enough for me looking down the, the rest of my life to think it's enough to just sit on a chair at church and just right. attend church. Mm. Like it was always, I know that God's called me for um, something more than that. And mm. and I know he's called me to, to do something greater than that, whatever that may be. Yes, I don't know. If that so really it was answers. sort of like a gradual thing. It was, it was something it was. that was always kind of there. Yeah, I always felt the call to preach, mm. like from a very, very young age. And at the time we would, you know, get the opportunity to exhort at, at youth or at church. I had a few opportunities traveling on our AYM program. Mm-hmm. It's our Australia, Australian Youth Missions program where you go with a team of young people to a different church and you're able to speak and sing. And, and so I would always get the opportunity to speak there. And I also had, yeah, I had some close friends older friends, more so my mum's friends, who kind of mothered me in a way and really affirmed that God had a call on my life. Um, but it was it was reaffirmed. It wasn't right. me kind of searching in the dark, not really knowing and, you know, mm. oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. No, it was, you know, this is what God's called you to. And that's so important to have those individuals, you know, those mentors and yeah. uh, the people around you that... Uh, when you do feel that call, if you're a young person who you feel that call, that there's someone there to affirm that for you. Yeah. And as you said, you're not just hoping or wishing mm, or yeah. thinking, but you know that God has called you. Yeah. 
So you felt the call to ministry. You always want to be involved. Ultimately, you ended up going to Bible school. How did that happen? Yeah, so, yeah. so I did not like high school at all. I, I feel like I, I don't take tests very well. I didn't have the greatest friends in high school either. My best friend at the time was a year ahead of me, Liz. So we were kind of always separated. So I didn't, I wasn't really close to anyone. Um, so after high school, I applied for uni, got into uni and then asked my mum and dad whether I could defer for a year and go to Bible school for a year to study music. When did the dream begin to go to Bible school? Uh, very young. I used okay. to... Man, I could uh, probably sing you any of IBC's songs from way back when. I used to buy the CDs. I, you know, I, um, I think we used to order them from overseas. I don't know if it was called Pentecost Publishing House at the time. It was called Word of Flame. Word of Flame, yeah. yeah. And we used to order the CDs, like the discs, <laughs> the things my child doesn't even know, you know, what they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I have all the, I probably still have them actually, all the CDs from all the Bible schools, you know, music. I loved music. I loved the whole idea of Bible school and hmm. yeah. So who has the best music? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> Everyone has a different opinion. It's all right. Okay. No, the music coming out today is incredible. It's, it really is. It really is incredible. So, yeah, Very, very um. good answer. <laughs> so what made you end up going to Gateway? Yes. Yeah. you mentioned Indiana Bible College a couple times. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but those are there are rivals. Oh, man. Yeah. Gateway, which is now Urshan, the defunct school. I know, I know. So I did originally want to go to IBC. I had more of their music at the time, the CDs, for some reason. But my mum said I could go to Bible school if I went to Gateway at the time because the Trimbles, brother and sister um, Trimble, are really good family friends of ours. So if I was going to move overseas, if I was going to move across to the other side of the world, it had to be where there were people that could support me from a family side. So she... Are you sure it's not because you stumbled on my Everyone's Connected profile? <laughs> yeah. Or MySpace? I'm sure. I'm very, very sure. No. Uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up in St. Louis, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what was it like being involved in music at Bible school? Yeah, amazing. Because that's another level, you know. Yeah. Preaching is like, yeah. You're going to class and you're learning and you're growing mm. and that. But music, that's like... Yeah, you know, that's it was incredible. Time. Yeah, it was incredible. It was everything I dreamed of, to be honest. Listening to the CDs and just imagining what it would be like, it was all of that and more. So I was at Gateway when Brother and Sister Hoffy were the music directors who were incredible as well. I learned so much under them. And we went, got, uh, I think James Sims was still there. He was. Yeah, James was there, was playing the piano and writing songs mm. when I was there. Yeah, we got to travel around and sing at different churches and exhort. And yeah, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And that, that gave uh, me a lifelong connection with the Hoffies as well. You know, we... Mm got them out um, here to Sydney a few years ago as part of our Turning Point conference. Pre-COVID, yeah. Yeah, pre-COVID. And that was incredible. You know, there were things that I remember him teaching me back how many years ago? How, yeah, gosh, 12 years ago, sure 11 you years say that ago. <laughs> that. That's true. But anyway, yeah, they were incredible at the, then and 
yeah, yeah both of them. They're, they're both wonderful yeah, people. It was. Yeah. So I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to talk to some young people who might be listening. They may be just getting involved in ministry, or mm. they feel the call to ministry. And pertaining to you would be like music, worship, leading, preaching, that sort of thing. Do you have any advice for a young person that's feeling the call, just sort of feeling that direction to be involved in music, to be involved in worship leading, feeling that calling to be a preacher? What's some advice that you would give that person? So first I would probably say don't be discouraged if it's not happening at the moment. You know, sometimes we want things to happen now because we know we think we call to that particular ministry and if it's not happening, it's like, God, why? You know, I want it to happen now. But I think number one is don't get discouraged. Then I would say find something to do. So offer yourself to the leader of that department or depending on what you're wanting to get involved in, but offer yourself. So we, as leaders of departments, we can't read people's minds. Mm -hmm. So... If I'm sure feel, God doesn't just tell us. Yeah, like, he just drops names. Sometimes he does, sometimes, you know, sometimes yeah, he sure. does. He does drop names into a leader's mind. But more often than not, it's because the person has come to you and said, hey, I want to teach a Bible study. And then we get you connected to teach a Bible study. And then that grows to, you know, whatever it is. Or, hey, I, I want to lead a connect group. I want to create a connect group. And then that grows and you you develop your skills and you develop uh, within your calling mm. in that environment, if that makes sense. The other thing I would say is to make sure that you are living holy and you're living right um, before the Lord as well. I don't think God gives us, you know, we feel called to something, but if our day-to-day life doesn't match up to what that specific calling requires, then the two won't, they can't marry up, right? Mm. So you can... If I want a, you know, really prestigious job in in the secular world, I my lifestyle and how I present myself and, and the things I say and how I present myself on social media, you know, all of this contributes to whether or not I get this job at right. this pre- prestigious company. And I think that also translates into even more so with how we're living before the Lord and how we're living. Yeah, and then I guess one thing I did want to bring as well just from the music side of it is if you are starting out or you do want to get involved is show yourself faithful and Mm. show yourself reliable you know for coming from a music side um, if you're going to join the music team or you want to join the music team or you've joined recently the youth music team whatever it is learn your stuff at home don't you know come to practice prepared be reliable for your music director that they can, hey, this person knows their part. This person's ready to go. They've, they've prayed. They're, you know, they're ready. Mm. There's um, being reliable and being, being dependable is, yeah, it's a big Yeah, and I think it's well. important that we don't treat anything as like, oh, it's just a Wednesday or right, it's exactly. just youth yeah. or it's just, you know, we need to do. Or I know f- from my perspective, I sing on the music team mainly because my wife is the music <laughs> But um, from, from my perspective, when it comes to preaching, if I'm given an opportunity to do something, I'm not approaching it with, oh, it's just midweek yeah, or, sure. oh, it's just youth. I want to give it my, my all mm. because of the calling that God has in my life. And yeah. and, yeah, we should carry that in every area where we feel to be involved in ministry. Mm. You know, we have ladies' camp conferences, ladies' 
camp renamed to conferences and I, I will practice for those and we've got a very I guess skeleton type band and singers no boys allowed <laughs> sometimes they came <laughs> on you um yeah but I will practice for those like I'm practicing for a Sunday service maybe not to the extent of you know a turning point type practice <laughs> our conference turning point but yeah I still practice you know, for a Wednesday, as like I do for a Sunday. Yeah, and yeah. I think you have to have balance, obviously. Like, yeah. You can't practice every <laughs> Sunday like it's turning point every day. So. Well, yeah, you know, I do work you drive a, yourself crazy. A, a job, a secular job as well. And yeah, I just I personally can't put that time. Some people can. And, It'd be and, like telling a preacher to prepare every sermon like he's preaching at general conference. conference. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's I know. probably not going to happen. I know, yeah. It's, it's kind of the same, but yeah, I'd say put the practice in and, and be dependable. So how long have you been a music director at Pentecostal? Yeah. You've been there for a while now? Yeah. I think about 11 years, I want to say. Some 10 years maybe. 10 or 11 years, I think that sounds about right. Okay. And what's it like uh, leading worship at the church you grew up in? Pretty surreal. My mum used to play the piano too, which is, I think, it would be interesting to see what she thinks about it as Mm. well because what I'm doing she used to do it's pretty incredible and a lot of the people there now are are new or have come over the last few years but there are still some that that were around when my mum was playing the piano Mm. and so I think it's a great honor it's a huge honor to be able to serve in the church I was born in so you've been doing it for over 10 years now how do you stay fresh? How do you stay inspired? Yeah. And you're not just uh, playing How Great Is Our God. Uh, well, we pull it out every so often. <laughs> um, Normally on a midweek. I know, I know. So staying fresh, oh man. Um, I have a great committee mm-hmm. who come with great ideas. They do. And so I think surrounding yourself with people who have good ideas that are not like just your ideas is really good especially your spouse that's good yep sometimes whatever i can't even (laughs) oh man okay here's a little tidbit for this the audience out there this will be edited out later no i ask him sometimes you know what what song do you feel goes with this theme i've got these songs and i just need one more i can't you have never given me a song suggestion or if he does give me a song suggestion it's like I don't know, something from 50 years ago that's not even in our repertoire anymore. It's yeah. Or one you haven't played yet. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I would say surround yourself, you know, surrounding myself with a good, a great team is, is good. There's always new songs coming out. Mm. There's always new technology. There's always new gadgets and gizmos. So I think those contribute to staying fresh. Surrounding yourself, surrounding myself with people who are more skilled than I am. I am definitely not the smartest in the room as it were when it comes to certain instruments or specifically sometimes what to play where to play it or you know from that side from that point of view so yeah we've got an amazing team with very very skilled people how do you um determine what sort of songs to play like if if you're introducing a new song yeah how do you guys figure out which ones you're going to do and just for all those that have been putting in suggestions (laughs) So normally if I hear a song, I kind of just feel that it would really speak to our church or if it's really speaking to me, I then think about it in terms of church. Can we replicate what's what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling in a big church setting? I think sometimes that's the problem as well. We get some song suggestions and sometimes I love songs as well and I'll bounce them off of people around me. So bounce the songs around 
you with mm-hmm. people around you to see yeah. whether they feel like it would go well with your church if it gels well with your congregation. But sometimes I will love a song, but they will say that the there's too many words, for example. You know, we want our songs um, to be easy for our congregation to sing. We don't want them to be glued to the screen because they're reading 20 lines mm-hmm. of a verse, you know. So, yeah, I think it's just balancing the songs that are suggested, the songs that we feel to do with what we feel what the church will accept and what the ch- what we feel will create a spirit of worship for everyone for exactly, everyone yeah. we want young people and older people to be on the same page yeah and i think you guys do a good job of mm. finding that balance it's not like just so youth driven yeah. that that you know the older saints are just like oh suffering through worship but it's good to have, good to have that balance yeah we try you know obviously we'll miss the mark every once in a while but Hopefully, more often than not, we're um, bringing everyone on the same page in worship. Mm. When it comes to ministry, what drives you? I like to ask this question to leaders. What drives you when it comes to ministry? What is your passion? Well, I think if I can break it up maybe a little bit. Sure, you you do what you want. (laughs) Thanks. For the music side of it, what drives me is seeing people worship, like creating an atmosphere of worship. Uh, on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, whenever that may be, people with their hands raised, connecting with God, feeling his presence, really believing the words that we're singing, mm. that that's what drives me because it's we're doing our job as as musicians and as singers. You know, we're glorifying God and we're leading the congregation in this worship to God, you know, that that's our job. And we, we don't have to always sound perfect. It's a, you know, we make mistakes. But what drives me is, is that, is, is knowing that the songs that we've sung, the heart that we've sung them with has glorified God and, and we've praised him and we've worshipped him and, and his presence has come down and, and filled, you know, the house. And I'm very gold, if anyone knows the colours. So <laughs> I'm very task driven and, and in that sense so um, this is from uh, real colors real colors yeah so I would say I have a job to do <laughs> you know I, <laughs> I, I run the music department at the moment for POS and so our job is to have a good worship set you know whenever we have a service whenever we're asked to whenever that is that's that's the job and so we're going to do everything within our power to make that seamless for people watching online, for people actually at church, and to make it sound good. And so that, that I think that comes into it as well, you yeah. know, as being driven um, to fulfill the goal of this is what we, we want yeah, for our Yeah, you set Sunday. that vision, you set that yeah. goal, and you want to make sure that you're hitting the, exactly. the mark every time. Exactly, and making changes where we need to. Not only are you heavily involved in ministry but you're a young mother of two beautiful girls yeah might i say (laughs) that's uh, a true statement (laughs) and you're a career woman so you've you've got a, a very demanding job how do you find the balance of doing all that to being like you're fully involved in ministry Mm, yeah ministering every week yeah uh you've got two kids under the age of five and you have a career, yep. a job that's quite demanding. How do you balance all of these things? So, yeah, I'm very gold, <laughs> very task-oriented. <laughs> so the practical side is 
the practical side of it is I schedule and plan and have lists <laughs> and I am aware of what is happening <laughs> when it's happening. Uh, I think that's very important um, to help with that balance of there's so much going on. You know, there's that saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that is completely true. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> it's true. So the practical side is, yes, very, very organized in that sense. How I find balance is... And honestly, I was thinking about it. I can definitely point to an amazing support network mm. like that. The support network means I find balance and right. means I'm able to do everything I'm doing to the level that I'm doing it. So obviously my mum's involvement uh, with the girls, my grandmother's involvement with the girls and then our bumbo and our tutu as well, you know, with the girls on Sundays and any Thursday practice or because of, because of these people, I'm able to give a hundred percent to other areas when it's needed. So yeah, I honestly, there's nothing magical about it. It's just very organized and we have an amazing group of people who So you're not super us. mom? Is that what you're saying? I'm not. I'm really not. Like even you and you know the amount that you do as well. Without all of these people helping me or and helping us, there is no way we could do what we do. And so it's because of them. I honestly there's I wish I could give more advice to the mom or the dad or parents out there looking to you know, find more balance. Mm. I was, yeah, I just... Do you, do you have any advice for young moms, not necessarily in finding balance per se, Yeah. but when it comes to having young children, being involved in ministry, mm. so it doesn't necessarily have to be about balance, but any sort yeah. of advice that you would give uh, a young mom out there? Um, like a young mom in church? Is that what we're... Yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know if... Uh, anyone outside of church will listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Our target know. audience is church people. <laughs> yeah, true. A young mum in church, what advice would I give her? Don't be afraid to, number one, ask for help. If you need a few hours or you need to go and do something, ask for help. It's totally fine to ask a friend to watch your kids and then they can return the, you can return the favor at a later date, like, it's, it takes a village. It's it's okay. You know, I'm more than happy to watch my friend's kids for a few hours if it means they can go and do something. Right. Um, so I think don't be afraid to ask for help. The other thing I would say is before your children came along, you were involved in the things of God. And I know this is probably a little bit controversial, and um, but I before kids, you may have been heavily involved or you may have been, you know, doing whatever it was for the work, for the kingdom of God. Right. And then kids come along and they are all consuming and they are a lot of work. But just because now you have the title of mother doesn't mean that your calling has changed. Mm. It doesn't mean that you, that God um, isn't wanting to use you to that a particular level in, in your calling or in what you felt to do prior to children. And I think sometimes as moms, speaking specifically to moms, we can get lost in motherhood a bit because it is all consuming. But I think finding that balance of, I love my kids. I love spending time with them. Yes, God has called me to be their mother and to raise them right. But at the same time, 
you know, also called to, in my, you know, for using myself as an example, I'm also called to lead a music department at the moment. And um, when given the opportunity to preach and, and to, you know, study for that sermon and to spend time practicing for the, in preparation for that music practice. And I don't love my kids any less. I'm not any less their mother because of that. But I think, you know, just reminding that young mum that, yeah. I think that's very important. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sure I should be the person telling a mum what to do. But, um, <laughs> like, God, I, I know this is extremely simple, but, and people have uh, accused me of being someone who communicates very simply. Mm. But just to put it simply, when God called you mm. into whatever ministry you're doing mm. prior to having kids, mm. he knew you were going to have kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not like he's taking that calling away now that you have kids. Yeah. He called you yeah. knowing full well that you would one day have children. So I think it's important to still be involved. And, you know, you can hit the pause button yeah. per se yeah. for a few months or even a year. I know our pastor advises people to take about a year off with their first child but that doesn't mean that you're you, you're no longer to yeah. be involved in ministry yeah exactly so for those of uh, our listeners who know us or don't know us we were married quite young i haven't spent much time on our relationship in this podcast on purpose because i wanted it to be about you and i think that you're incredible and you have a lot to offer <laughs> so i wanted the listeners to get to know you a bit and not so much me but we were married young we were married at the age of 20 and um, we've had a lot of great moments over the last 13 years together and this is obviously dating and engaged prior to marriage and because we married young we've been able to experience a lot of firsts together but also some really difficult times when we lost our first pregnancy it was pretty devastating mm. I know uh, we'd been married for about seven years, and uh, people had begun to wonder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we could have kids. Yeah. Uh, we can have kids. We were interested in doing other things at the time, but then, uh, you know, we finally made that decision, and we felt pregnant, and we had that pregnancy, and we lost it. How were you able to work through that time of loss? Mm. So, yeah, when that happened, we were actually going on an AYM trip, if you remember back. Yeah, to Perth. Yeah. So, we had just found out I was pregnant. I think we were still pretty early on in pregnant, like in um, weeks, but we had just found out and we got on the plane and we actually told Kanina and Lani, if you remember. So we are the worst at keeping secrets. The absolute worst. We are. Because we just love sharing in the joy <laughs> with everyone. Even if it's a gift or whatever it is, we just we just want to share um, the excitement. Wait, wait, let's 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 stop there. Yes. We're good at keeping secrets. The, well the yes. important secrets. Correct, correct. So if you have any secrets to tell us, we will correct. not divulge Sorry. it. Yes. I'm talking about the exciting things of la- of our exactly, life, yes. of life yeah. in general, yeah. Gifts and whatever. Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um yeah, we were actually going on an AYM trip and we got on the plane with Kanina and Lani and we told them. I think they were the first ones we told <laughs> that we were pregnant. You pulled out like your four positives. I did. I did the test. sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and then we yeah, went on the AYM trip and I took an, a few more tests, I think on the Saturday morning. 
and the second line on the test was getting faint was fainter than the Friday. Then we came back from the AYM trip and went to the doctor and found out that we, there was like some levels that indicated pregnancy, but we had lost that, that viable pregnancy or whatever. I don't know really what they call it. They call um, it chemical. Stage. I don't like calling it that. But. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really devastating. And for being our first child, uh, our first pregnancy as well, it was a shock. And I know it's common, you know, we've had friends experience miscarriages that were way more devastating, yeah, you know, way sure. more devastating than that. And we've had, we also have friends that have walked through years of infertility as well, you know, so by no means, am I, you know, equating this to that, but yeah, it was devastating. It was, it was a shock, but we kind of just walked through it right mm. that's what you had to, we had to do at the time and we trusted that god had allowed it to happen for a reason and w- why it happened we didn't know but we knew that god was going to you know bring us through it and when it was possible we would try again to have another yeah to have a baby and um yeah i think we just we grieved we definitely grieved and but then we moved on and yeah. then we trusted God. Pregnancies are always stressful for me. Yeah. Always. Just as a as a man, you're completely out of control. You know, like I know yeah. obviously <laughs> you guys aren't in much control. Either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Biology has taken over. And so, yeah, for me, just all the way through pregnancies, it's... Um, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Every time yeah. you complain about something, yeah. oh no. Googling. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <laughs> and it doesn't end oh, after pregnancy. You true. keep doing it once you have kids. It's true. I mean, every second week, I think my child has like, a debilitating <laughs> disease. Yeah. Do you have, uh, you kind of already gave it. I was going to ask if you had any advice for someone going through a situation like that. But you yeah. Kinda touched on it I, I, it's fine to grieve. Like, I think no matter how far you are in pregnancy, if we're specifically talking about miscarriage, it's it's okay to grieve. You know, it's it was still a pregnancy. As soon as you see those two lines on that test, you are thinking nine months down the road. You're already thinking about this child. You're already thinking about... Uh, what you're going to do, you know, you've got hopes and dreams. Yeah, I mean, we went into a baby bunting. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's a loss of what was going to be. It is, it's a loss. Someone actually, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago and they said, I think it was all pain hurts, you know? Mm. No matter the, what pain it is, it hurts. So it's okay to grieve, but then also trust that God will bring you through and trust God that he will, you know, restore and, and believing for a, a, another pregnancy and a, a baby, if that's w- what you're wanting to do. Yeah. So I, I think grieve, but then determine that you will trust that God's will and God's plan. He holds our lives in his hands. Mm-hmm. So trust that he will bring you through it. Amen. So think, yeah. Well, in conclusion, I wanted to give you the opportunity. I do this at the end of of all of uh, these conversations that I've been hosting, I want to give you the opportunity to share a word with the listeners. Obviously, I've been sort of directing the conversation and asking you certain things, but if God's laid something specifically on your heart, I'd like you to 
take your liberty and yeah. to share whatever the Lord has given you for the listeners. So obviously I listened to the podcast and I was aware that this uh, question was coming, but earlier this week in one of the daily readings, it was First Chronicles, I think 17, uh, David was speaking to Nathan and he was saying, I live in this beautiful palace. I have all of these things. I want to build a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant um, because it, it doesn't have a nice building, etc. And Nathan firstly says yes, but then God um, comes to him and says, no, actually, um, David's not the one who's going to build me this temple, this this dwelling place. So Nathan goes back to David and, and uh, says, the Lord has said that he... Um, never asked you for a dwelling place. Uh, he's done all of these things for you. He's caused you to defeat armies. He's, he's caused you to have these great victories in battle. So I'm, I don't need you to build me a dwelling place, but your son is going to build the dwelling place, Solomon. And the, sub, the verses that follow, David gets everything prepared. So he gets the wood ready. He tells the people, this is what's going to happen. I've, um, he put his own money towards it, the Bible says. He had everything ready for Solomon to continue the plans and to, and to continue what he uh, wanted to do, pretty much. I kind of felt like the Lord was speaking to me in that moment that the generation that's that's gone before us has set the stage as it were they've gotten everything ready they there are giants if i can say that in our organization in 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 our world at the moment that have powerful walks with the lord that work in the miraculous that um, prophesy that that do all these things and that stage is set and we know the lifestyle and we know the the callings and what's required of that calling right and so I, I really believe that God was speaking through that and saying to our generation, challenging myself and challenging this generation that our the generation before us has gone and they have set the stage. Are we going to continue in what they've planned and, and continue in what they feel called to do and to further the gospel? That's what we're trying to do with, with everything that we do is, is to see souls saved and you know, I was thinking about it. There will be a time where if there's something wrong with our kids and you know this, I go to my mom and I ask her to pray. She probably goes to her friends and says, can you pray as well? You know, it's if something is wrong, I immediately go to her because I know that she has a strong walk with the Lord. Right. And there's going to be a time when she's not around for me to go to. And will my kids, will my girls come to me? you know, to get me to pray for their children or their circumstance or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really felt the Lord challenging me that these things have been set in place. Am I going to carry them forward into into the next few years and however long, you know, the Lord tarries? Are we, are we going to further that? We're going to take what we know and um, push the gospel forward. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steph and that it ministered to you. Make sure to stay tuned for bonus content at the end of this episode from a very special guest. If this episode blessed you today, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search The Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We are releasing content every week and the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your feed. If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. 
And now, what you've all been waiting for, Ava joins the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ava May. Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> Thanks for taking time to join me. You're so busy during all this lockdown craziness. So how old are you, Ava? Four. Four? Do you have a birthday coming up? Yes, I'm five. You're going to be five? <laughs> how long? How long to your birthday? Mm, August after this month. Oh, okay. It's only a few more weeks. You're going to be five years old. Yeah, and I get to go to big school. Oh, at the end of this year, you're going to big school? Yeah, and I made a new friend for big school, but I can't, I don't remember her name. Uh, okay, well, hopefully you remember it by the time you get there. <laughs> so you go to preschool now? What do you do there? Mm, I see Boo Boo. Oh, do you have any other teachers there besides Boo Boo, who is actually supposed to be called Miss Bowie at school? <laughs> Boo Boo. Yeah, I heard you've uh, convinced all the other kids to call her Boo Boo instead of Miss Bowie. Is that true? Boo Boo. What's your favorite thing to do at school? Cutting. Oh, with scissors. With magazines. <gasps> Cutting pictures out of magazines? Yeah, but I want to buy a magazine for home. Right. Interesting. You want to buy a magazine so you can cut it up. <laughs> so tell us, do you have a sister? Yes, Regan. How old's Regan? Two, and she's bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> is, bonkers is bonkers a new word that you've learned recently? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you call Regan when you don't call her bonkers? What do you normally call her? No, when she's a little bit crazy, you call her the what? The king of the jungle. No. <laughs> the wild child. Wild child. <laughs> oh, this interview is going off the rails real quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you want to say anything to the listeners? The people who listen to this? Do you want to say anything to them? Hello, bye-bye. All right. Well, there you have it, Ava May. In all of her glory.